0: Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of A Light Into My Path podcast. I am your host, Howard Sides. Today we're going to continue our study through the book of Revelation. And uh, starting with the last podcast, we're on uh, the section dealing with the millennial reign. Now as a section in Revelation that deals with the millennial reign, there's not a lot of information but uh, through the research, and I mentioned this on the last podcast, uh, research through a book called uh, Things to Come, uh, written by a man named J. Dwight Pentecost. J. Dwight Pentecost, a uh, Things to Come. Uh, I, he had uh, probably one of the most in-depth studies of uh, future events, I guess you'd say, in his book, so I just pretty much Uh, And giving him whole, wholly, total credit for the next few podcasts on this uh, stuff in the Millennial Reign, because I pretty much got it all from him—biblical resources, all of that. So I just thought it'd be easier to uh, give him the credit for it, the book, the credit. Uh, It was put together very well. So I, you know, I may embellish some uh, thoughts on my own, but all in all, all, just wanted to make sure I gave him uh, credit for. Uh, this information about the millennial reign okay so as far as a scriptural text we are in revelation chapter 20 and verse number six uh, which i believe represents the uh description in revelation of this millennial reign uh and it's one verse for you know a thousand years and you know you could say that maybe god done that on a purpose to just show you that a thousand years uh in the uh, in God's reality, it is nothing. Uh, we as humans uh, are, I don't know, I, I don't want to say dictated, but I guess you could say dictated by time. Everything we do has to do with time, uh, whether it's on a calendar, whether it's by a watch, by alarm clock, uh, meeting appointments, uh, uh, days that we have to be somewhere. We are, uh, in effect, pretty much dominated by a a time and god does not operate that way and and a lot of times we try and figure you know well when did god think this when did god do that you know these sort of things and god doesn't see it that way that the spiritual world is different from the physical world but you know besides that this it's a thousand years and here in verse 6 of revelation chapter 20 it's our source scripture uh but there's 99.99 percent of what we know about the millennial reign uh, is written about in the Old Testament prophecies, so that's where we're getting most of our uh, scriptural references for what we're going to be talking about. Now, I will give them to you uh, and read them uh, as best I can because this podcast is about putting the information out there. I want you to have it if you don't have the uh, uh, tools to find the stuff. I I just want to put it out there for you so you know where I'm getting it from. And you have it at hand if you need it uh, for a future study, whatever it may be. Okay, so uh, let's uh, read our source text here, Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6. And then we'll get back into this study of uh, the millennial reign. All right, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests and kings uh, no, sorry, shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him, uh, a thousand years. Sorry, I was trying to do two things at one time. Got off on that. (laughs) Sorry. Okay. So, uh, uh, we've talked a little bit about the, the, the establishment of the millennial, uh, reign. Today, we're going to start on looking at the government and the governed in the millennial reign, how, how that's all established, how it's all set up. Uh, what it looks like, what it will be like, and that sort of thing. Okay, so the first thing, uh, we'll talk about the government, the government of the millennium. And the the system of the government, uh, it will be what is called a theocracy, T-H-E-O-C-R-A-C-Y, theocracy. Now, there are multiple types of government uh, throughout the world and throughout our history that we've been introduced to or Uh, through uh, history class, uh, or even social studies. Uh, There are many types of government system. Um, Four of the main ones, of course, the first one would be a monarchy. Monarchy, which is basically a king has the sole authority to establish rights, laws, and rules for all to follow. And usually that leadership is represented by a king and or a queen or king and queen, that sort of thing. Uh, Number two uh, is a democracy, a democracy. Now, being as a podcast, I can ask this question, you you know, without embarrassing anybody. But how many of you believe or think uh, that America is a democracy? If you do, uh, that is wrong. America is not a democracy, but we'll talk about what it is in a minute. It's basically a republic. okay? And we say that in the Pledge of Allegiance, by the way. But a democracy, there, there are subtle differences, they're very close to being the same, but there is a reason why our founding fathers, uh, I believe, led by the Holy Spirit, uh, created a republic instead of a democracy, and you'll see why. Now, a democracy is a political system where, sorry about that, uh, where the people have the authority to deliberate and decide legislation as a whole. And you think, well, that sounds like what we didn't know. We vote that way. We all have the right. To, well, we all have the privilege. Voting, that's another error. People think that voting is a right. Voting is not a right. It is a privilege. Uh, you get caught with a felony, and let's see if you have the right to vote. Okay? So there are stipulations to voting. Voting is not a right. It is a privilege. But the laws of the land give the people the right Okay, you see the difference? We do have the right to vote for our leadership. We don't pull up, okay, well, should we uh, have alcohol by the drink, or should we allow smoking in public events, or uh, should we allow uh, children that are 16 years old to be uh, wedded of their own volition, and then all of the people in the United States vote on it? That's a democracy, okay? The majority vote, as a total, dictates the rules for all the people. Okay. And you think, well, what's wrong with that? Listen, if you live in the United States, you can see that people that live on the East Coast and people on the West Coast have totally different views of how things should be, especially when it comes to environmental issues. I'm not saying that one's right and one's wrong, but I'm saying they have vast differences. Uh, A big event with that going on right now is these electric cars. I don't know how you feel about electric cars. You may own one. Uh, If you do, uh, you know, that's, congratulations. Uh, I just wish you well the first time you need maintenance on the thing. You know, you're, well, it doesn't need oil or anything. I'm talking about that battery. When you go to replace that battery, (laughs) let's see what happens then. Uh, Many countries in Europe who have been on this uh, electric car binge for a while now. um, And I know I'm chasing rabbits here. Um, Switzerland or Sweden, I forget, I think it's Switzerland, has actually banned electric cars uh, because now they've realized that when those batteries run out, they don't have a safe place to, uh, to put them. They don't have a safe place to store them. You can't just bury them in the ground. France found that out. Um, the it started poisoning the local citizens after a while, and then they couldn't realize, figure out what it was, and then, then they realized it's that lithium that's in those batteries. Uh, the federal government of the United States has been asking that question well you say that electric cars are safer but when you look at the mining minerals that are required to make a battery it is far less of a strain on the economy to mine coal and burn coal to make electricity than it is to create these chemicals you need for batteries far less of an impact on the environment so it's all twisted up but my point here about this democracy thing um People who live in one state, uh, let's just use uh, uh, the Second Amendment, the right to keep and bear arms or the right to bear arms. Uh, My son has a T-shirt that says that. (laughs) We can can arm bears around here. I don't know what you think about that. But anyway, uh, we in uh, certain states have a much different feeling about that than other states do. Uh, many states today are having a hard time with the criminal criminal uh, actions uh, relating as it is to firearms, and they've been pushing a political agenda to ban firearms as a whole. Uh, that, if you have any question, that is a focus of the Democratic Party uh, to do that. They want to ban all weapons because they want to control the people. They're not worried about your safety. They're not worried about their safety. Because they themselves have armed guards protecting them. You do not. And that is why the Second Amendment is so critical and so important. It's it's not to protect these maniacs that go out and take advantage of that rule. It's to protect the common man who's who has a right to protect his property and to fend off a government that doesn't have their uh, best interest at heart. I I would challenge you. Uh, that in the uh, um, Declaration of Independence, that in the Declaration of Independence itself, uh, there's a phrase in there that actually gives the people the right to abolish the government. They don't want you to know this because they don't want the people to have the power. And, and listen, in the last few years, uh, we've been given a lot of our powers of what away uh, in the sake of. The Patriot Act versus, however you feel about that, versus other things, which we are allowing common sense to be taken away. But listen, most of you don't know the Declaration of Independence by heart. I know that, probably all of us don't. But there's a phrase in there in the second column, and it it starts off with a phrase we all know very familiar with: "We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain." Unalienable rights; that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Most people know that phrase, but listen. It goes on to say this, and I want you to pay attention to this phrase and what it is, uh, what it's about, what it's representing. The next phrase in the Declaration says that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent And happiness. That's a direct quote from the Declaration of Independence written by Thomas Jefferson and introduced to the Congress of the United States of America and ratified July 4th, 1776. That's straight from the writing. Now, what that is saying is that it is the right of the people to defend themselves. They have certain unalienable rights. That's rights that cannot be taken away, that's rights that can't be. Uh, removed. That's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We as human beings are all equal in that. We have the right to pursue life, to live, to protect that life uh, of liberty, to live in freedom, and the pursuit of happiness, to be happy. Now, that's not saying that you're guaranteed to be happy. That's saying you have the right to defend, uh, uh, that you have the right to be happy. It's up to you to go and make yourself happy, whether it's your job you hate, whether it's Uh, the family you dislike, whatever it is, you have the right to pursue happiness. And then the next phrase says, and that to secure that right, uh, we have established governments that have their powers from the agreement of the people, the governed, the consent of the governed. That's the people of the United States. And then it goes on and says that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, in other words, when the government doesn't represent us right, that the people have the right to abolish them or to alter it. In other words, when a congressman stands up there and he's uh, on a campaign trail and he says, I promise to uh, support the Second Amendment, or, or even when it's a hotter topic than that today, it seems, is abortion. Uh, I'm going to defend uh, the right to life and, and that's what I'm running on and all that. And the people agree with that and they vote him in office. And then the first thing he does is he, retur- he, t- he uh, reverses that policy. The people have the right to get rid of this guy. He's not power, and there's like, oh, well, there's nothing we can do about it now. Yes, there is. And the Declaration of Independence gives us that right. And that's all the way from a low level, I don't know, water conservationist uh, in a local seat of government, all the way to the president of the United States. We have the right to do that. And they don't want you to know that because uh, if we could hold their feet to the fire, hey, this is what you promised us and this is what you said you were going to do, uh, you know, I, th- this career politics pol- political, pol- yeah, I can't even say it. career politician and politics, uh, there's nothing good comes out of that. Uh, we, as a country, need to go back to the way it was originally established. These people held jobs. They were farmers. They were lawyers. They were doctors. And they only represented the Congress when it when it met, and they would uh, go over these bills or whatever was on the table. They would vote on it, and they'd go back to their lives and, and carry on these careers. And then after maybe four years, after eight years, they'd go back to their life and they'd be done with this. These politicians that have been in office till the day they die, uh, they're not doing us any good. Now I agree, some of them have, have been instrumental in setting up great policies, great legislature and all of that, but it, it's not good. It's just not good to have one individual with that much power uh, for that long. There should be term limits. I am totally in agreement with term limits. I think if the president's limited to two, everybody else should be. And here's a kicker. I mean, this will get the ball rolling and get rid of the red tape. These people that are in Congress, that are in Senate, that are in the government of any form, they need to have the same insurance that we have access to. That'll get this whole social security thing set in a heartbeat. All this thing about Congress giving themselves a raise, that needs to go away. That, that should be something to the consent of the people. Hey, if I'm making $10 an hour, And I've got a a representative that's sitting up there uh, in Congress that's making, uh, I don't know, $250,000 a year, whatever it may be. Uh, There's something wrong there. There's something wrong there. Yeah. So that all needs to be fixed. All right. Okay. Well, I chased that rabbit way on down the trail. All right. So let's come back to (laughs) where we were. I don't know how I got off on that. I don't know. But anyway... We're talking about types of government we've talked about monarchy we've talked about democracy. Democracy is where all of the people have the authority to uh, decide legislation as a whole. A majority vote dictates the rules for all and basically what we're saying here is uh, you take two states um, Virginia versus Carolina uh, Carolina California the way you know they're never going to agree and that that's just the makeup of the country that's the way it is. But in in the effect of the number of individuals in California, the millions and millions of people in California versus the small amount in Virginia, uh, California would dictate policy for the entire country forever because of the number of the people that live there. And that's why democracy doesn't work in the United States of America. Now, in talking about the United States of America, our form of government, it is a republic. And the difference there between a democracy, in a republic the people have the power to vote but elect representatives to exercise that power, okay? We elect officials to represent us. And then the difference from a democracy is that smaller groups of people in in local state, or the 50 states, have equal rights to larger groups that could dictate the laws for all throughout equal uh, representation. And equal representation would be... uh, a, a key issue that that's what was talked about when they established it as a republic versus a democracy <clears throat> and i believe it's two senators represent each state there's a hundred senators that's two for excuse me for all 50 states and they have equal voting power and and that's how uh listen the the, uh, the establishment and the setup of this this form of government was brand new nobody'd ever had a republic before it was all new and It was uh, created in a way uh, that they were trying to prevent what the Christians had gone through in Europe from ever happening again. You can say what you want to say, but the establishment of the American form of law and government was all about that, protecting the Christian right. And, of course, everybody else that lived here uh, would have those equal rights. It was not about, well, if you're a Christian, you have these rights, but if you're not, you don't. Okay. That's not where it is. Okay. And then the fourth form of government is a theocracy. A theocracy is where one God as the supreme ruler has control of everything, dictates law, the judgment, uh, the punishment and uh, all of that is from one God. That's a theocracy. A deocracy would be where, uh, two gods have, uh, or two or more gods have control. That, that would be like some of these, uh, uh, mythological settings, you know, where a, a Zeus sits in Mount Olympus and has control of everything, but he has other demigods and gods under him. And all. No, theocracy means one god and one god alone. Now, the millennial government that will be established in that day will actually be a combination of a monarchy and a republic and a theocracy as well. Uh, there will be a supreme ruler in God representing the theology, and as the supreme ruler, and he has total control over everything that happens, that kind of represents the monarchy. He will be a king, okay? Uh, But it'll also be like a republic in that the rights of all the citizens from the lowest to the highest are preserved. We will have rights as they are. Okay, now, the Messiah in the millennium The Messiah will be set up and will be established as the king. He will be this theocracy uh, uh, individual. Jesus Christ will rule as the Messiah. Now, this position is by divine appointment. In other words, God established this. Uh, That'll be found in Psalms chapter 2 and verse 6. It says, yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. And then it's talked about in the New Testament, Luke chapter 1. Verses 32 through 33, he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Now, also with the Messiah, uh, here's another one. And a lot of people don't even know that I really myself. I kind of thought about it, but I didn't really know the foundation, the background to it. Um, But it still kind of surprised me when I read it. Uh, The third thing about this government uh, uh, of the millennium is that David, King David, remember him? He will serve as regent in the millennium. And you're like, where does that come from? Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 23 and 24 says, and I will set up one shepherd over them. And he shall feed them, even my servant David, names him, right there. He shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken it. <laughs> that last phrase, I, the Lord, have spoken it. It's like he knew they wouldn't believe him when he, even when he wrote it in his Bible. Uh, but he was dictating. He's like, I've said it, and it's going to be so christ will be the king he will be as the messiah the king david will serve as regent or what we would call or think of today as a prince Uh, r newell in his book the revelation he states and i quote we must not confuse in our minds this situation we must believe the plain words of god david is not the son of david christ as son of David, will be king, and David, his father, after the flesh, will be prince during the millennium, End quote. So, David will be appointed as regent uh, or prince over Palestine and will minister under the authority of Jesus Christ, the king. In his role, according to Ezekiel 34:23 through 24, which we just read, uh, we will see that David will lead in worship and offer memorial sacrifices, and divide the land allotted to him among his faithful people. Okay, uh, number four. Nobles and governors will reign under David in the millennium. Uh, Isaiah 32 and verse 1. Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment. Princes in plural form. Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 21. And their nobles shall be of themselves, and their governor shall proceed from the midst of them, and will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach unto me. For who is this that engaged his heart to approach unto me, saith the Lord? That, again, mentions several different nobles and governors. Um, and Ezekiel 45, verses 8 and 9. In the land shall be his possession, in Israel in the land shall be his possession in Israel, and my princes, again plural, shall no more oppress my people, and the rest of the land shall they give to the house of Israel according to their tribes, thus saith the Lord God, let it suffice you, O princes, plural again, of Israel, remove violence and spoil and execute judgment and justice, take away your exactions from my people, saith the Lord God. Now, even in the Gospels, Jesus Christ himself told the twelve disciples that they themselves would rule over the twelve tribes of Israel. Matthew nineteen twenty-eight, And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So this promise to these few indicates that there will be many subordinate rulers under David. Uh, And then it goes on further. Uh, There will be many lesser authorities that will rule in the millennium. Uh, Luke chapter 19, verses 12 through 28. Uh, And this is a parable, but listen to what it says. Excuse me. Uh, He said, therefore... A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, hast thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, Be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. Now, the key to this phrase here is the use of that word napkin. Napkin is only found relating to a cloth that covers the face of a a corpse as it lays in the uh, grave. So what he's basically saying is that this pound was dead. It was a dead pound. Okay, verse 21, and he gives his reason for why he did this. Uh, For I feared thee because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down and reapest that thou did not sow. And he saith unto him, out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with us- usury or interest? And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you, that even uh, that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away. From him. But those mine enemies which would not that I should reign over them bring thither and slay them before me. And when he had thus spoken he went before, ascending up to Jerusalem. So, according to this parable, uh there's going to be even smaller subdivisions of authority in the millennial kingdom, with individuals appointed as rulers over ten cities and five cities, and et cetera, et cetera. And so that that would mean um, I mean just I don't know what they're going to be called, but you're looking at uh, pretty much a king, a prince, uh, nobles, governors, and in that system, it sounds a lot like a monarchy. Maybe there's going to be uh, earls or barons, or uh, maybe there's going to be uh, mayors. Uh, There could be sheriffs with authority, you know, all of that sort of thing. But whatever it is, we know there's going to be multiple levels to this government. Uh, Another part of this government uh, is that judges will be used in the millennial kingdom, actual judges. Uh, Isaiah chapter 1 verse 26 says, And I will restore thy judges as at the first, and thy counselors as at the beginning. Afterward thou shalt be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. And what he's talking about is uh, uh, restoring the judges as at the first. There is a book called the book of Judges right behind Joshua or after Joshua Is the book of Judges. And you'll see that they actually had ruling authority uh, in the permission to carry out the law uh, with, uh, I guess you'd say, judicial authority uh, to punish people, that sort of thing. All right. And that verse also says that they will have counselors as well. Uh, Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 7 says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts. If thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house, and shall also keep my courts, and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. Now, in this unique theocratic government system, uh, while there will be a king, a prince, and various rulers, the Bible also tells us here uh, that these judges also will be used to administer duties according to obedience of the law. Okay, now that covers uh, the government. Now, let's look at uh, the subjects in the millennium. And, yeah, that covers quite a bit, quite a bit of, uh, well, we'll get as far as we can, right? Okay, the subjects in the millennium. Now, according to J. Dwight Pentecost, in his book, Things to Come, he says, and I quote, The earthly theocratic kingdom instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ at his second advent will include all the saved of Israel and the saved of the Gentiles who are living at the time of his return. Scripture makes it very clear that all sinners will be cut off before the institution of the kingdom. In the record of the judgment of the nations in Matthew twenty five thirty five, it is revealed that only the saved enter the kingdom. In the parable of the wheat and tares, in Matthew thirteen, thirty and thirty one, and in the parable of the good and bad fish, in Matthew thirteen, forty nine and fifty, it is shown that only the saved go into the kingdom. End quote. And I gotta be honest, that's one question. Uh, of why, you know, that's one reason I wanted to go through and be very detailed about uh, everything to do with this millennium and what the Bible says about it. Uh, because I had a question about that. I mean, I've been in church all my life, but there's some things I just, you know, maybe I've heard it and I just kind of forgot it, but I wanted to rehash it or know the truth. Uh, I had a question of whether there would be unsaved people in the millennial reign. that, And by that, I mean carried over when it's, when it's established, when it starts. Um, I just didn't know, but again, in his book, Things to Come, J. Dwight Pentecost makes it very clear uh, that when the millennial reign is established, uh, it will be uh, basically starting over just like the Garden of Eden was. When God put Adam and Eve there, there was no presence of sin. That's what's going to happen here in this millennium. When it starts, there will be no presence of sin. That's one reason why Satan's going to be bound for a thousand years uh, in his prison. Okay, so uh, he mentions in that quote that I just said uh, that there will be saved of Israel and there will be saved of the Gentiles. So let's talk about um, these two groups of people and uh, let's see. Mm -hmm. Trying to get there. Alright, we'll have to figure this out. Okay, so, the subject in the millennium. Uh, You're talking about Israel, and then I believe the next part of that is going to be talking about... uh, 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 Oh, I got my notes all messed up. That's what I'm looking at. Yeah, Israel and uh, the Gentiles. Yeah, I got some notes messed up. Sorry about that, so let's just get to where we're at and go from there. Okay, first of all, Israel. All right, Israel... First of all, is going to uh, uh, deal with a uh, deal. Uh, There's going to be a restoration. There's going to be Israel's restoration first. There's going to be Israel's regeneration. And then Israel, uh, uh, we'll be talking about them as uh, Isaiah's, Isaiah, listen, Messiah's subjects, Messiah's subjects. Okay. All right. Israel's restoration. The restoration of Israel would be necessary to fulfill the covenant promise of bringing the nation to their promised land. Uh, that's covered in Matthew 24, 30, and 31. It says, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. Sounds a lot like the rapture, doesn't it? And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Okay, now what's it talking about here? All right, this is in the book of Matthew. He's explaining what's going to happen upon his return, this second advent or this second coming uh, that's talked about in Revelation chapter 19. And it says, and uh, there shall appear the sign of the son of man in heaven. Now you're thinking, well, what is that sign going to be? Well, now remember, they've just come through in the book of Revelation at these end times. They've just come through the uh, seven years of tribulation. And all these horrifying events are going to happen where the sun is darkened. The moon, uh, the light of the moon is shut down. The stars are going to be, we're talking pitch black, okay? And then it says that the son of man is going to be seen in heaven and that his light is going to be so bright. I mean, everybody's going to know who it is, okay? And that's, and it says, then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. There's not going to be any question who this is. They're going to know right away, and they're going to mourn because they know that this is the Son of God, and uh, they're in trouble, (laughs) basically, okay? That's what they know. All right, now, this uh, regeneration. Israel's regeneration. Uh, the nation of Israel will experience what is called a universal conversion which will, uh, which will prepare them uh, to meet the Messiah and to be able to take part in the millennial kingdom. Romans 11, 26-27 And so all Israel shall be saved as it is written, there shall come out of Sion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant unto them, and I will take away their sins. Jeremiah 24, 7 says, and I will give them an heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. Okay, now this regeneration that it's talking about is initiated during the tribulation period, or again, what I'm saying is that it started during the tribulation period where God will first seal those 144,000 who are true believers. And then second, he will purge out the remainder. I put reminder. Let me change that to remainder. There we go. Uh, and that's talked about. Revelation 12:17. And the dragon, being Satan, was wrought with the woman, which is Israel, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So Satan's going to try everything he can to erase them, but they're sealed and they're protected and uh, taken care of by God. Okay, Uh, the third thing, Israel as the Messiah's subjects. Now, in order to become the the Messiah, I'm trying to meld Messiah and Israel together there. Serial, my serial. In order to become the Messiah's subjects, Israel will be, uh, first of all, converted and restored to the land as shown above. Uh, second, reunited as a nation. Jeremiah three eight. In those days, the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel. You remember uh, back in the days of Solomon and Rehoboam and all of them, when they were fought, fighting over the kingdom, they split apart. Half of the nation followed Solomon, half of them followed Rehoboam, became the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. That's That's where the split took place. But in this day, it's talking about they're going to be brought back together as a whole. Uh, The verse goes on. And they shall come together out of the land of the north to the land that I have given for an inheritance unto your fathers. Okay, third, they will be related to Jehovah, or they are related to Jehovah by marriage. And that's talked about in Hosea uh, chapter 2, verses 14 through 23. And again, we're going to read this for those of you that don't have uh, reference to or material that you can't reach. Hosea chapter 2, verses 14, 23. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. And I will give her her vineyards from thence and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth and as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishi. And thou shalt call me no more Bali, for I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. And in that day will I make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, and with the fowls of heaven, and with the creeping things of the ground, and I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth, and will make them to lie down safely. And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness, and in judgment, and in loving kindness, and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. And it shall come to pass in that day, I will hear, saith the Lord, I will hear the heavens, and they shall hear the earth. And the earth shall hear the corn, and the wine, and the oil, and they shall hear Jezreel. And I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. And I will say to them which were not my people, thou art my people. And they shall say, thou art my God. So Hosea is talking here about this. uh, Israel is known as God's wife through marriage. Uh, She has committed adultery and that she has turned her back on God. And God's saying here, just as Hosea is prophesying, that God's gonna woo her back in. He's gonna put her out in this wilderness so that he can put her in a place of trouble, that she has no choice but to turn to him for answers, and that he's going to accept her again. And I think a key to this that is that verse 23, it says, and I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. God is saying right there, I'm going to show them mercy, even though they've done absolutely nothing to uh, earn this mercy. And and God does that for us uh, in the church uh, for saved people all the time. And boy, I'm telling you, if we could ever really get a hold of that, it would change our lives. It really would. We've heard it so much our lives, all of our lives, all of the time we've been sitting on pew and, uh, uh, churches. Uh, you know, God shows mercy, God shows mercy, God shows mercy. God, shows mercy. God, God extends his uh, loving kindness to us. And, uh, that that it's, it's lost its savor. Our salt has lost its savor. We, we need to rehearse these things, okay? Uh, time and again, it needs to be made fresh again. It needs to be stirred up. Uh, now, the fourth thing about Israel here is that they're going to be exalted above the Gentiles. <clears throat> they will be set in a place above even the saved Gentiles. Isaiah 49, 22 to 23. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the Gentiles and set up my standard to the people. And they shall bring thy sons in their arms, and thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. And kings shall be thy nursing fathers, and their queens thy nursing mothers. They shall bow down to thee, talking about the nation of Israel, with their face toward the earth, and lick up the dust of thy feet. And thou shalt know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. This is talking about the establishment again of Israel. Uh, Fourth thing, they will be made righteous. Kind of covered that, but we'll give you the scripture reference for it. Isaiah 44, 22 through 24. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions. <laughs> Notice it says as a thick cloud. Talking about, you know, it wasn't no little sins. It was major sins, pretty thick. Goes on. And as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Sing, O ye heavens, for the Lord hath done it. Shout, ye lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, ye mountains, O forest and every tree therein, for the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb. I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. This is a great portion of scripture here in the fact that God is telling the people Hey, I've forgiven you of your sins. I did it myself. And not only am I telling you that I just forgive your sins, I forgave them all. All the many, 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 many sins that you've committed. That's that I blotted out as a thick cloud. That, that's what he's talking about. And then he says, for I have redeemed thee. In other words, he paid the price that we were supposed to pay. He took it off of our shoulders and he paid it himself. And then in 20, verse 23, I think this is a beautiful representation of how nature itself is a witness to the creation and to the fact that God is the creator. Listen, sing, O ye heavens, for the Lord hath done it. Shout, ye lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, ye mountains. And then he says, O forest and every tree therein, for the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. I mean, even Nature. Knows who God is. Why do we have a hard problem, hard time accepting in the beginning, God created? In the beginning, God created. Why do we have a hard time with that? These people have this thing, well, if I don't see it, I don't believe it. Okay, well, just stop breathing because you can't see it. All right? So, you know, rid the world of that nonsense. Can't see air. So why do you believe it? Why are you breathing? Just stop. Okay, all right. Fifth thing, <clears throat> God's witnesses. They Israel will become God's witnesses during the millennial reign. And you think, well, why would God need witnesses? Listen, it's all about His holiness. There's several reasons why. Uh, one of them, I will say, is that they're going to praise God. Uh, I mean, they're going to show Him uh, affection. They're going to show Him love. They're going to give Him the respect that He deserves. Uh, but another. Is that through this thousand-year time there will be children born? These children born will be born in the flesh. They will have sinful natures, and they will need to be saved. Israel's going to be the witness to uh, these children. And you think, why? Why are you saying? Why do you say they're going to be born in a sinful nature? Let's not forget that at the end of the millennial reign, uh, if you don't know yet. Uh, Satan is going to gather up another mass army and try to defeat God one last time. And God's going to have to put them down for the final time. Okay. So where does he get them people from? Unsaved people that will be on the face of the earth. Okay. And and we'll get into that. Okay. Don't worry about that. We'll get into it when we get there. All right. Uh, the last thing, uh, Israel will be beautified to bring glory to Jehovah, uh, Let me see, did I mention, I don't think I did. All right, God's witnesses during the millennial reign. I don't think I read the reference to that. Sorry, back up just a little bit. Uh, Jeremiah 16, verses 19 through 21. O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth and shall say, surely our fathers have inherited lies, vanity, and things wherein there is no profit. Shall a man make gods unto himself, and they are no gods? Therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know. I will cause them to know mine hand and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. How's he going to do that? Again, he's going to do that by using Israel as the witness and the testimony of who God is. And these Gentiles are going to realize, hey, uh, our ruler's been telling us a lie, and, and we woke up. We realized it. Okay, now to this final point. Uh, Israel will be beautified to bring glory to Jehovah. Isaiah 62, verse 3. Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. Hosea 14, verses 5 and 6. I will be as the dew unto Israel. He shall grow as the lily, and cast forth his roots as Lebanon, His branches shall spread, and his beauty shall be as the olive tree, and his smell as Lebanon. Now, I'm assuming that by that reference of smell as Lebanon, that in that day, Lebanon had a pretty good smell to it. I don't know what it would be. Uh, One thing that comes to mind to me, being a woodworker, is that it always mentions the cedars of Lebanon. Uh, If you ever cut a piece of cedar and smell the inside of it, to me, that's a fabulous smell. I like the smell of pine. I like to smell of cedar. Now, when you get into these hardwoods like these oaks and things, when you cut them open, uh, walnut, well, walnut, you shouldn't be smelling the sawdust anyway. That stuff's got poisonous oils in it. But oaks, yeah, they pretty much stink. But when you come to pine, the softwoods, pine and cedar, man, you can't beat that smell. Mm. So maybe that's what he's talking about. Because today, Lebanon, in the condition it's in, it probably doesn't smell too hot. I guarantee you that. <laughs> okay. Uh, Now, we've just talked about Israel. Um, Let's see. The next one will be talking about the Gentiles. Um, I may have to stop there because I don't think I got enough time. Let's see. Yes, I do. It's not that long. All right, so we'll finish this thought about the government and those governed. Um, Number two, the Gentiles. The Gentile nations will only have a part... In the millennial kingdom, by way of the Abrahamic covenant, which promised universal blessing, not personal blessing, but universal blessing. Now, by this covenant, the Gentiles will be brought into a relationship with the king. This admission is also necessary so that Messiah's dominion will be universal. In other words, it's necessary because God is going to rule the whole world. uh, So the Gentiles are going to have to be brought into this as well. Um, Ezekiel 38, 23 says, Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. And you think, well, what does that prove? Israel was one nation. When it says many nations, it's obviously talking about the Gentile nations. Uh, second thing, the Gentiles will be Israel's servants during the millennial reign. Now, those nations which had authority over Israel in the past will come to find this people exalted and themselves in subjection to these very same uh, people. <laughs> Isn't it unique how God always seems to turn everything that we think around? Uh, oh, the oldest should be the only one that's honored. Man, God pulls the youngest out of the whole flock to be a king of, the, king of his people. That's how David worked out. Mm. Okay, Isaiah 61.5, And strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the alien shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. And you're like, what? The Bible mentions aliens? I never knew that. And that's not talking about outer space aliens. It's talking about foreigners, <laughs> okay? That kind of alien, okay. Uh, third thing: the Gentiles who are allowed into the kingdom must experience a conversion prior to admission. They must experience a conversion. What are we talking about? We're talking about salvation. Um, Isaiah 19, verses 19 through 21. In that day shall there be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt, and a pillar at the border thereof to the Lord. And it shall be for a sign and for a witness unto the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. For they shall cry unto the Lord because of the oppressors, and he shall send them a Savior and a great one, and he shall deliver them. And the Lord shall be known to Egypt, and the Egyptians shall know the Lord in that day, and shall do sacrifice and oblation. Yea, they shall vow a vow unto the Lord, and perform it. And then in Jeremiah 3:17, At that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered unto it to the name of the Lord to Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. This conversion, they're going to have to be cleansed. They're going to have to be made anew uh, to experience life in this millennial reign. Okay, so that concludes today's podcast uh, in talking about the government and the governed. And the next portion, uh, kind of give you a preview, uh, we're going to talk about Jerusalem and Palestine in the millennium. Uh, <clears throat> we're going to talk about the land uh, where God's going to set up his kingdom. Uh, now, of course, he rules the entire earth. Yes, I know that. But I'm talking about where the government uh, system, the the monarchy, where he reigns from, it, that there's going to be a, a, a change come to Jerusalem and to Palestine in that day. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Okay. Uh, and yeah, that's it for today. So once again, let me thank you for listening. Uh, I ask you again to remember to pray for us, pray for uh, each of the other listeners in the podcast and to pray for your local church. And, uh, I hope you have a great day. And, uh, once again, thank you for listening. God bless.